Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode 148 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. My name is Tim Robertson. I'm the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Hey, thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as the Astrolian Astronomer. This podcast depends upon you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear in the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can start by giving as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous for $5 or for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the ALPO, membership begins at only $18 a year. And just to let you know, if you're listening to this as it's released, membership prices will go up to $23 a year beginning January 1st, uh, 2023. So get on now. You can find out more at www.alpoastronomy.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for The Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss another episode. And now we're going to talk about planets, specifically Venus and Saturn. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. And we have a twofer today. We're going to talk about Venus and the ALPO, and then we're going to talk about Saturn. And because we're talking about those two planets, we have Julius Benton here, the coordinator of both sections. Welcome to the podcast, Julius. Yes, glad to be here. Yeah, it is. Now, before we get into it, why don't you, you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself before we get started? Yes, I joined the ALPO back in 1967. I've been the uh, coordinator for both the Venus and the Saturn sections since 1971, continuously unbroken. And I've been the executive director on multiple times while I've been a part of the ALPO. And I'm currently serving on the board of directors as well. And um, we are uh, I'm a retired aerospace uh, professional. And I uh, retired back in 2014. And I'm enjoying doing this stuff with the ALPO now and collecting observations and doing a lot of pro-am work. Great. Okay. So let's talk about the Venus section. First, give us an overview of the, of the section itself. Okay. The Venus section, uh, we have, uh, about, um, 80 observers. Oh, wow. We have several observing programs that we're involved in. Um, a lot of it's visual drawings, Mm -hmm. um, drawings from all over the world. Uh, and also a lot of, uh, images taken at various wavelengths, ultraviolet images and infrared images that uh, observers send to me, and we publish those in our journal uh, at the end of an apparition. 
Uh, so our mission is to uh, collect as many observations and cooperate with the uh, Pro-M efforts that we're involved in. So what, what type of equipment is needed to contribute to the section? Well, we don't set some inflexible minimum, but an observer who may have a small refractor, like a three-inch refractor, mm -hmm. is certainly fine. And uh, a little bit larger aperture would give, allow you to see a little bit more and do a little bit more with the imaging. Of course, the smaller instruments sometimes take advantage of uh, uh, inadequate seeing sometimes when you've got turbulence that's causing some issues with larger apertures. But uh, we have observers are using instruments up to about uh, oh, 14 inches or more. And uh, the average observation that's coming in uh, is around uh, a, a, an 8-inch uh, telescope. A lot of observers are using those size instruments. And it doesn't matter. Design Newtonians, catadioptrics, Smith gas cranes, uh, and that sort of type of instrument. And okay. uh, we servers to get a good collection of filters uh, to be able to enhance the viewing opportunities uh, to reduce a lot of the contrast and glare that's so common with Venus because this, the atmospheric features are pretty uh, are pretty elusive for those who aren't uh, well tutored in observing Venus. So you mentioned filters. What type of filters would you recommend? Well, we have uh, we recommend the Rattan series filters, the blue filters uh, like a W38A or a violet W47 filter, and then of course uh, the UV filters that are available uh, from various sources mm -hmm. uh, allow uh, imaging in the UV because a lot of the uh, markings that show up in the UV you can't see visually. Yeah, I've used the Rattan 47 filter. It's like a deep purple. Yes. Or violet filter. And it, other, it, violet it, filter. it really knocks down the light and gives you a good opportunity to look at the uh, the upper atmosphere of Venus. Well, we encourage observers because Venus is so bright. If you're observing against a dark sky, uh, a variable density polarizer helps improve the visibility ah, of faint, reducing the glare. That really helps a lot with Venus. Okay. So what, have, what did you see in like the last apparition of Venus? And what are you seeing now that's new, different, interesting? Well, most of the things that people are seeing right now are the typical features that are visible on the uh, in the atmosphere of Venus. Uh, banded dusky markings that are, run parallel across the uh, illuminated disk of the planet, perpendicular to the line of the cusps. Radial dusky markings, the V-shape and Y-shape markings that uh, are really mostly visible in the uh, UV images. Uh, you rarely see them uh, visually. And then there are all sorts of markings, atmos uh, amorphous dusky markings and irregular dusky markings in the atmosphere of Venus. It's, it takes some consistency in observing and uh, getting used to training your eye to know what to look for. Venus is tricky. Yeah, it, it is. But I think once you use filters or even like you mentioned, the neutral density or the polarizing filter would be the way to go with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, the UV filters around 380 nanometers of so the uh, contrast drops off rapidly at about that wavelength. And uh, that's why the uh, it, it's at the lower limit of the average human eye. You can't really see a whole lot of the markers that I was talking about that are common in the UV because, you know, you can't see UV, of course. Right. Now, it's currently a morning object, right? Yes. The apparition started back in January. Uh, it was inferior conjunction. And uh, it was a, a disk of 63.3 uh, arc seconds in uh, diameter. And then, of course, as the apparition has progressed, um, the greatest elongation west from the sun was back in March. And then uh, 
the uh, apparition will wrap up in October, and we've got a lot of observers who are just continuing to follow through. Venus is a gibbous disk right now; it'll be full by the time it uh, by the time it reaches superior conjunction. Okay. Uh, so, what other features are they seeing on the planet now? Well, the thing is that this is something that I'm talking. I'm going to talk about the uh, Proam mission that is ongoing right now. We have okay. an alert come out. Uh, we're active in the uh, Akatsuki program. This is a Jackson uh, space program. Uh, it's a climate orbiter that uh, is assessing the uh, climate uh, features on Venus and uh, is probing Venus to gather all the data that's possible. Uh, one of the interesting things that we posted the alert about was the cloud discontinuity that's been occurring in the mid-level clouds of Venus. Those cloud, That cloud level is about uh, over 40, 40 uh, kilometers above the surface of venus and they they rotate you know venus is retrograde they rotate about every five days uh, like a super rotation at that mid-level you don't see that because the uh the images are not i mean the uh, cloud dot discontinuity is discontinuity is hidden below the upper level clouds that are at about 70 kilometers above the uh surface of the uh, planet and that's where you have the super rotation four-day period and this Cloud, um, this uh, discontinuity is a strange-looking uh, linear feature that extends from north to south, mm -hmm. uh, along the limb of Venus or near the Terminator. And we're trying to image these uh, amateur astronomers, as well as the professional team, is imaging these and collecting all the images that we've got to go study this uh, effect of the uh, cloud discontinuity. It's, it's something that we, the Akatsuki mission has really requested that we send as many observations as we can, and we've been sharing that data. We're getting observations worldwide, and most wow. of the images are taken at 742 nanometers in the uh, infrared. That's where it's most visible. Okay. Now, you mentioned that you have about 80 observers, active observers in the in the group right now for Venus. Yes, out of that 80 right now, we've got about 40 that are really sending in the observations as part of this program. Uh, we're getting them almost daily. We've got 700 individual images that have already been submitted wow. for this. Wow. <laughs> who, who, who are some of your big contributors? If you want to oh give goodness. their names, we've got uh, we've got guys uh, in uh, Italy. Mm -hmm. um, got people in the uh, in Portugal. Clyde Foster in South Africa. Uh, we've got uh, Greg Shanos down in uh, Sarasota, Florida. And um, we have, uh, it's worldwide right now. And mm. we urge more and more observers to continue sending in their data. We've got a good team of observers and we're getting observations that are uh, collected, are imaged. The planet has been imaged, uh, documenting the reality of this con this cloud con uh, discontinuity uh, on the same date and near the same time. That's why it's so important to have confirming observations. Uh, okay. Yeah, I see observations on, on social media, and I'll reach out to the observer and say, hey, have you submitted these to the ALPO? And then, oh, no, they're not good enough. And Yes, they are good enough. I mean, if you're observing Venus either visually and making drawings or, or doing images, you know, uh, imaging, send them in. Send them in. We could, we could always use more. There's no such thing as a bad observation. Send them in. Even if it's a verbal description of what you're able to see in the telescope, we encourage some beginners uh, who are starting out drawing Venus. Don't get discouraged because uh, you, it may take some while to get used to uh, what to look for. And that's why the filters are so important Yes, uh, uh, to uh, help bring out some of the detail. 
observing Venus if as much as possible in the daytime, in the daylight, our bright sky really helps reduce all that glare. And uh, we tell observers who are beginning, don't don't give up, keep persisting. Yeah, and, that, and that's really a, a good tip too, because if you observe during the daytime, you're not dealing with the, you know, it's not a, a bright dot against a, a dark sky. You, you have more better contrast at that point. A lot of times, Venus is so bright that uh, it's fairly easy to find in a twilight, mm-hmm. and you can follow it into uh, the morning sky uh, uh, or, or in the evening sky if you just keep looking and get a pair of binoculars if you have trouble spotting it, but it's bright enough that it's hard to miss. That's uh, definitely, definitely hard to miss. So your observations, are they all published in the journal, or do you have another place where they're published? They're published in the journal. Of course, we share all the observations with the uh, JAXA Akatsuki team. Okay. And um, there are some papers coming up in the future that will uh, uh, recognize some of our observations. And that team keeps soliciting observations from us, and they keep re- recommending that we be uh, consistent with sending in the data and uh, just wait and see what they can come up with. Comparing their information that's from the spacecraft as well as what we see, and there's good correlation. Okay. Now, if if uh, a, a newbie wants to start observing Venus, is there uh, some materials out there they could read to learn uh, how to do it and how to go about it? Well, there's a monograph that's published uh, that, I, that I wrote some months ago. Actually, it's a couple of years ago. It's been updated constantly. It's a PDF file that can be downloaded from our ALPO website. Okay. It addresses visual observations of Venus as well as imaging. And uh, we encourage the observers to uh, download that manual. And then, of course, all the drawing blanks are available also on mm-hmm. our web. There's no cost. Oh, very good. So it's all free. All they have to do is start observing and send you their observations. Well, if somebody wants it and can't access it too easily, I can send it. Uh, someone send it to my email. Uh, and, of course, uh, I can send it to them. It won't cost anything. I can really, really send it without any issues. Okay. And I will attach your email to the show notes underneath the podcast so people can contact you that way. Great. Is there Great. anything about Venus you want to talk about? Well, that's what we're doing. We're continuing to follow it through until October approaches. Uh, okay. The plane smaller and smaller in angular diameter. And uh, it's pretty low now in the morning sky, and the seeing conditions are a little bit troublesome for a lot of observers. But once it's gone, it's gone, and it'll come up next uh, after uh, October, uh, about November or December of this coming uh, fall or winter. Mm-hmm. It'll be an evening star, as people refer to it a lot of times. Right. It'll be a good Christmas star this year. <laughs> oh, yeah. Very good. Very good. All right. So let's move on to the other planet that you are a coordinator of, the Saturn section. How about giving a brief overview of what you do there? All right. The Saturn section is uh, an active, very active program. Uh, we, we, have, we have over 150 observers that are uh, periodically send in data from time to time. And uh, our main mission is to coordinate the regular systematic investigations of uh, Saturn uh, uh, on a regular basis. Saturn is uh, a fascinating planet. It's one of the most beautiful uh, objects mm-hmm. to see in especially for a beginner who's never seen the planet before. Um, a Saturn apparition lasts about 378 days, a little longer than a year between conjunctions. And um, we encourage observers uh, 
uh, to start observing and follow through from uh, the time that it appears uh, in the sky uh, after uh, after it reaches a uh, uh, well-placed position in the sky. And of course, one thing that's coming up soon, the apparition, the 2022-23 apparition is already underway. And uh, we have uh, the following information. Uh, we're looking at opposition to the sun occurring on August the 14th. That's fast approaching. Right, right. And opposition, for those of you that don't know, is when the, the uh, planet is directly opposite the sun in the sky. So as the sun sets, the planet comes up, and that way you can watch it all night long. So oppositions, oppositions are pretty uh, cool, when it, and, and it's also closer to the uh, Earth at that point, correct? Well, the other thing, too, is that uh, it's well positioned for most for observing most of the night. If you can catch it high enough in the sky, mm -hmm. uh, because that makes it easier to view without uh, turbulence or atmospheric uh, dispersion causing problems. And uh, turbulence causes a lot of problems for people with larger telescopes sometimes. So True. we don't inflexible minimum of, of the type of aperture that can be used or the type of telescope. Most observers find that a telescope of six inches or more gives some of the best views of Saturn, but we don't discourage any observations with smaller apertures. Some people have done great work with four-inch refractors, for example. And um, so imaging is something that we are encouraging. People still draw Saturn, uh, oh, yeah. visually still active doing that. We have blanks that are available for people to use on the website. And uh, my book uh, about observing Saturn, Saturn and how to observe it is available on Amazon. And also there's a monograph that is available on our website that talks about visual observations of Saturn that uh, might not be uh, something that people don't do as much of because of all the imaging going on. But we encourage visual observations as much as possible. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, so what are your expectations for this year's operation? Well, so far we're starting to... Uh, Observers are starting to record discrete phenomena in the northern hemisphere of Saturn. The tilt of the rings is such that uh, you, you are seeing the uh, observers are seeing the northern hemisphere of Saturn in the north face of the rings. Uh, there have been some curious white streaks in the equatorial band of Saturn at five plus five degrees uh, Saturnographic latitude. Uh, some curious white streaks and spots in the northern equatorial belt and also some features that are in the equatorial zone and the uh, and uh, other regions of the northern hemisphere. Now that Saturn is at the tilt that it's at right now, around 18 degrees and, and diminishing in the tilt, it's more and more of the southern hemisphere of Saturn is peaking out below the beneath the rings where uh, uh, you're starting to see some of the belts and zones in that region. Yeah, Saturn is quickly becoming edge on in, in a few years, right? Yeah, 2024 is when yeah. the next edgewise apparition will occur. So if you want to see the rings of Saturn, now's the time to do it before they go straight on with the uh, the plane of the Earth. Yeah, we're like a, we're about uh, the tilt right now is 13, think, yeah, 13. degrees uh, right now. That's what it'll be on at opposition on October the 14th. And it continues to diminish after that. And then uh, Saturn was fully open to 27 degrees. When the rings were fully open and you had the full view of the northern mm -hmm. hemisphere uh, back in 2017, uh, that was in October. That was when uh, Saturn was at its so summer solstice. And then as the uh, opposition, uh, as the apparition continues, the rings are closing up. And it's going to be fascinating to uh, start seeing uh, shadow transits and also 
satellite transits across the uh, disk of Saturn as the edgewise ring presentation approaches. That's true, because you really can't see that when the, you have the, uh, the, the ring angle at such a high elevation. Right. It's very difficult. It's easy to see the satellites uh, if you're yeah. careful where to look, but not crossing the disk like a transit that you see typically on Jupiter or a shadow transit. Now, is there any observation program for the satellites of Saturn at all? Yes, we encourage observers to uh, ob- record, make use. Uh, you can, if a large enough telescope, observers have been able to see some of the satellites uh, ever so slightly as a disk. Mm. But there are ways to estimate the uh, magnitudes of the Saturn, uh, of their satellites, using okay. computer stars of known brightness. And uh, that's quite fascinating uh, for observers to participate in that. That's part of our observing program. Okay. So what's currently happening on Saturn right now that observers should look for? Well, the mark, the uh, discrete phenomena that I was talking about, some of the white spots mm-hmm. that appears at various levels in the uh, northern hemisphere, the white streak that's uh, easily, uh, it's not as visually uh, obvious, but observers are making some drawings of uh, the uh, the disk and recording very discrete phenomenon. Most of the very small features are showing up in the images, but it doesn't hurt to look for it visually and compare what can be seen visually with what's imaged. It's good to have a comparative uh, set of data. Mm, very good. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the types of telescopes that uh, people can use, you know, pretty much anything over four inches is acceptable for being able to see some detail with Saturn. Yeah, we don't turn any observations away, of course. That's right. a good tra- for four-inch refractors or maybe a little larger. But once you move up to a little bit bigger telescope, like a six-inch Newtonian or six-inch catadioptric, and upwards from there, you're going to see more and more, assuming the seeing is going to be cooperative. And, uh, of course, we uh, encourage uh, observers to plan their observations carefully and use color filters of various known wavelengths because a lot of the imaging that's going on is taking it uh, red, green, blue uh, wavelengths, as well as the uh, some are taken in green light, some are taken in blue light. And then, of course, uh, observers even do some uh, imaging in the methane band. Mm. So what t- what types of you mentioned the filters for Venus that you the basically requirement for seeing any detail at all? What What type of filters would you recommend for Saturn? Well. A, a, a yellow filter is helpful sometimes. Okay. Uh, a variable density polarizer can be helpful with Saturn too to help bring out some of the con- to help reduce some of the contrast with the bright rings when when the uh, when the uh, opposition occurs on August the fourteenth. Uh, the rings are going to take on uh, what appears as a bright a sudden brightening because it's called the Seeliger effect, and um, it will give uh, observers notice how much brighter the rings appear in at uh opposition okay all right and you mentioned the observing forms are all online because you have them for different angles of uh ring angle right yes we do we okay. have every ring angle that exists right now the forms for about 14 degrees is what observers are using right now for drawings okay and all space on the space on the forms even if you're imaging allows you to record the relevant data like telescope filters location name of course type of telescope and so forth that, that's a, that's an excellent point the form is a good guide even for imagers of the type of information you want with the image 
Absolutely. It's a good point. Very good point. So all the observations are published in the journal. Correct. Okay. Is and and then you send some, you send most of them off for the pro am collaboration as well. Yes, our pro am collaboration began uh, back some time ago with the uh, Cassini mission, mm -hmm. and can you that. The observations that were sent to the Cassini team are still being uh, carefully uh, uh, studied uh, because the Cassini mission ended back on September the 15th, 2017. And observers, are, we're still sending observations into the, uh, to wow. the pro professional groups uh, for uh, monitoring Saturn. And if there's any, if there are any discrete features that are visible in the Northern Hemisphere of Saturn or wherever, even in the rings, um, obviously, uh, obviously, uh, they will, we will alert, they will alert us as well as we can alert them of what we're seeing and that we can get a good cooperative effort. Yeah. And you mentioned the alert that's posted and that's on our website, right? Yes. Okay. Do you have any other type of communication with your observers as other than the website or it's pretty much all online that way? Well, we do that. We, we correspond back and forth. We talk by phone and we, okay. uh, share data that way uh, we stay in touch with one another anybody that has any questions they're free to give me a call or send me an email and i'll be glad to help them out and we don't discourage anyone as a beginner don't think for a minute that your observations aren't worthwhile uh, sure. the main send them in and we'll use them as a comparative basis okay do you have anything else to add about uh, observing saturn or your book or anything well, like I said, I'm going to work on getting the book uh, published in a new edition. We've been working on that with a publisher. We're trying to get that set up. That takes a little bit of time because I have to do a lot of proofreading and uh, some uh, refereeing of that to make sure we got everything correct in that and get rid of typos, that sort of thing. Okay. But daily, coming so fast, we got a satellite, we get Saturn observations daily. I'm extremely busy downloading images. In fact, this evening before I participated in this call, I had already received like 20 images. Oh, wow. Anything interesting? Oh, yeah. Uh, confirming the uh, uh, features on the uh, globe that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, some, I sent some dark spots. And uh, some of the observers are seeing exactly the same thing. So that's good comparative confirming data, which is very important. Great. What type of equipment do you use to observe Saturn? I use a, a six-inch refractor and also a seven-inch Maxutoff. Okay. Yeah, I have a six-inch Maxutoff, and I call it my planet killer because it it really gives me some incredible images of the planets. Oh yeah, once it cools down, you yeah. reach temperature. Uh, it's uh, it's wonderful. The the uh, it emulates uh, a much larger refractor. I really like the catadioptrics because it. You know, refractors can tend to be very of long focal length and kind of cumbersome to move around. Mm -hmm. But we have observers that are using refractors up to 20 inches. Yeah, and the older you get, you really can't lug around a bigger refractor anymore, can you? Yeah, oh, I tell you, they're expensive. But um, I remember the years when a lot of observers built their own telescopes. I remember A. Jagers years ago used to sell some six inch lenses that people built a lot of built a lot of refractors with those and then of course the Canada optics uh the schmidt casses a lot of our observations are made with schmidt casses and then we had a lot of them with max Sudovs, and then refractors still come in wow so is there anything else you want to add about the saturn section before we close this off well i just want to welcome anyone who wants to participate in our programs and i'm i'm willing to help any way i can to make the experience even more enjoyable and beginners are welcome
that's the whole purpose of our existence to try to move people along and get them involved in our programs. We're reaching out to youth and I want to make sure that more and more youngsters uh, uh, get involved as much as possible. Instead of sitting in front of a TV, watching stuff on in, at home, get out and observe. Enjoy the start. I hear it. And, and Julius is retired. So he has lots of time to look at all your observations. So, you know, inundate him with more photographs and more drawings of Saturn. I'm, he won't mind at all. Nope. I won't <laughs> turn away, that's for sure. And if I see any that needs some improvement, I'll be glad to work with the observer to help them own their skills. Fantastic. Well, Julius, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Yes, it's been a joy. I really appreciated it. All right. Thank you. All right. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I want to thank Julius Benton, the coordinator of the Venus and Jupiter section of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, for coming on the podcast today. Hey, get out there and observe those planets, man. It's They're looking really awesome. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And we're also available on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, Amazon Echo, Spotify, and the podcast is also on the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers YouTube channel. How about that? You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon. You can give up to $35 a month where you'll receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. With that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seedentop, and Michael Moore for their continued generous support. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. And if you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net, or you can grab me on Twitter at, at ObserversNBPod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.